I was like, well, I feel uncomfortable with my breasts. Maybe getting rid of that will, maybe that's the answer. And then it ended up not being it. It's, it's absolutely not reversible. To imagine that sort of high responsibility being put on a child, I don't think is right. Hello and welcome to the Theory at Podcasts. Today I speak with Camille. She tells me about her parents' nasty divorce, her identification more with her father, who is the more of a stable parent than her mother, and her disconnection from her own body and generally her sex. This led her to identify as non-binary and eventually have what's called top surgery or double mastectomy. But after the surgery, she noticed this didn't actually solve her problems. In fact, it caused more health complications, and we get into all of that as well. Today, she is about a year into detransitioning, and here's her story. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe. Hit the like button, share this with your friends, because it's important that we get stories like this out there for people to see. So, Camille, I'm curious, where does this entire uh, story start for you? Yeah, so I think it's important to kind of like go back quite a ways because it's it's um it starts off with the divorce because my parents got divorced when I was very young and it's it had a huge impact on me and I was struggling with childhood depression I was one of those usually girls don't get diagnosed with ADHD but I did because um, I was very obviously ADHD. So, um, but yeah, I struggled with childhood depression. It had, there was some gender stuff that was going on because my mom wasn't in, my mom was rightfully struggling with the divorce, but she was also very spiteful. And so when it came to my dad, my dad was healthy. My dad um, was the more stable parent. So I gravitated more towards him and and what he valued. And so I think, and yeah, just sort of things like, it just, it was just ugly. Like they were both fighting and um, my dad would say things like my mom's manipulative. And so then it's like, there's like this basis of like women are manipulative. And so there's this sort of gender at a negative perception of what it meant to be a woman. And then, um, around the time I started, you know, it was sixth grade. I was um, like, that's like the time around puberty and stuff. Around that time, um, my dad told me um, how girls, how men his age would talk sexually around about girls my age because he was scared about me. And he was also concerned I was gonna be promiscuous. So I had no intention of being promiscuous. It was just, he, it's just like he has most likely generalized anxiety disorder, most likely ADHD. He's never been diagnosed, but that had it that had a role because then I was nervous around um, how I dressed, and then in sixth grade, um, my best friend had been raped by her brother, and um, it after all that, my anxiety heightened. Yeah, of course. It yeah. sounds like there's a, a lot of stuff going on, of course, right. with the divorce, as you mentioned, but but also with the gravitating towards your dad as the more stable parent uh, 
and him being a man, of course, um, and then a, a general fear of sort of what was to come in puberty. And sixth grade is like 11, 12 years old, right? Like that's, right. that's, about, that's about the age. Wow. Wow. So, so how did it how did it progress from there for you? What is that? Was was it um, at that point? Had you heard of of uh, transgenderism or anything like that, or how did that come up for you? So it's interesting because I'm I'm an older transitioner um, or detransitioner. So, like when that was, this was probably two thousand. Would it be 2001, 2002? So this was before the whole trans thing took okay. off. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and so, but it was interesting to me because there's still that pattern there. I had, um, I started dressing more masculine around that time. And there was another friend of mine who did the same thing. And it, it wasn't um, the friend who had that happen to her. It was somebody else. But I think that that's interesting that there's this social contagion thing, even back then. Um, but it, it's a little bit different, I guess, as somebody who's older, who did it before it really took off. Right, and it sounds to me, uh, last week I was able to interview uh, Emmy, Emily, she's uh, on Twitter as well. And she, she was also slightly before the, the peak of everything. And it sounds, how long have you been detransitioning now? Probably less than a year. Yeah, so it's, it's fairly recent that we're seeing people uh, pull out of this mindset of, of sort of the trans ideology. I guess before, before we go on, I, I use the word like trans ideology, but I would be curious from you, do you think it's, it's uh, a harmful ideology or do you think it was just not for you? What, what, is, what are your thoughts on that? I think that it's definitely a harmful ideology. Um, I, I think too, like I, I was, and how I was introduced to trans ideology was through feminism, which is its okay. own ideology. And, it was very, it's very interesting because when I, I went to college and I was a women's studies minor, so most of my classes were women's studies. And there's a very strict domat, domatic sort of, um, it's almost like its own religion. And I've heard that cults can be based on ideologies, not just. Interesting, okay. Yeah, so I do think that it is harmful and that it's very strict and the elitism is, is very concerning for me. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to me that you, you came at it through feminism. And I would yeah. like to hear, hear more about that, if you don't mind, just simply because from what I've seen, there are now two different strains of feminism. One which is derogatorily called uh, trans-exclusionary exclusionary radical yeah. feminists and and then the feminist side that accepts that ideology uh was that was there a distinction there at that point or was the movement of feminism generally accepting i'm wondering if because i was in in a college setting in these college classes that it seems like it was co-opted by gender ideology i see and there was actually discussion i remember about it was like well, it was women's studies and they're wanting to change it to gender studies and i 
And I oh. actually remembered saying, I, I think that there, there should be a woman in there and that maybe it should be its own thing. But it actually- That's interesting. Woman, gender, and sexuality studies are something along those interesting. lines. Interesting. So now you're yeah. seeing even, um, well, I guess when you went to college, entire courses being co-opted by this stuff, as opposed to having just a women's studies, which would be more of a traditional feminine, fem, uh, feminist kind of thing. Uh, and now even these classes are being co-opted. That's an, And it sounds like the iteration of feminism there on the college campus was its own thing. Um, yeah, I would say that it, because the thing is that when, um, when intersectionality came in. Um, and as you go on to that, if you don't mind me, just just asking you to give a, a very brief uh, summary of intersectionality for people that may not be familiar with it. Yeah, so intersectionality is the sort of like, you have your social locations and that you'll have lo locations that, you know, kind of hit each other. So you can be a black, trans woman would be intersectionality versus like just being a, a black woman or black cis woman. I know that I'm just using their terminology, but black sure. cis woman, um, you know. And there's a white. hierarchy to this in, as far as oppression goes, if I'm understanding correctly, the intersectionality uh, movement. Uh, it's like the further, I can't remember how exactly it goes, but the further you go on one side, the more oppressed you will be according to this, this uh, idea. Yeah, it's one of those things that, and I think that this kind of is where it falls apart, partially because you have all these different thoughts and um, all these, I guess, different schools of thoughts like hitting each other. Because mm -hmm. um, I know that that was definitely a thing that they stressed is that they didn't want a hierarchy. They wanted to destroy all hierarchies sort of thing. Okay. So that's why yeah. whenever we would be in like a circle uh, or whenever we had class, my professor actually, um, we would actually like move the move the chairs and the desks to make a circle. So it was the idea that even though there was a professor, she was stepping down a little bit, and that everybody else was getting um, time to speak. And I and I understand, like, I, I understand the thought behind that, but mm -hmm. uh, the reality is that there are hierarchies, and we can't avoid that. Yeah. Yeah. So and it's like when it comes to intersectionality, it is it is kind of like one of those conflicting ideas because no, even though they probably wouldn't say that they value somebody who's higher on the, I guess, oppression hierarchy, they, they actually do. So. So how did that affect your experience in college then? Yeah, I ended up because I was as naturally very good at it. That, that's something that came very natural to me, that sort of, and I, maybe it's just the abstract thinking, but this is something I, I excelled at. But at some point you're, you're gonna hit, you're gonna get called out, no matter how good you are, there's just something you're gonna say. And I think a good example of this was when I told a Gilbert Godfrey joke of um, <laughs> him reading Fifty Shades of Grey, which is of yeah. course he's got the madly wise, and he's, um, and I got this, and it's just like, it, and then it's just these girls are like listening to it as an audiobook of Fifty Shades of Grey, and they're going like, "Oh my gosh, like that's horrible," and then the last one's like, "Oh, that's hot," like it's just like unexpected, and everybody in the group laughed except for this one person, and they said, um, "You know he's an asshole, right?" 
And so it's not even that the joke I told was problematic. It was that I was supposed to know that the person who told the joke was problematic. And it's, so it's just, you, you can never escape it. And I ended up developing CPTSD, which is complex post-traumatic um, stress disorder from these experiences in um, activist culture. Oh, wow. So did you find that out before the trans you started transitioning or was this after the fact? Yeah, before. So it yeah, was, was before. very okay. odd about um, transitioning was that I had this history of trauma um, and I wasn't able to actually connect with trans people because I, actually a lot of my experiences around were, I, I, I thought I was non-binary at the time. A lot of my negative experiences were um, around people who are non-binary or trans and so I actually didn't reach out um, and it was difficult for me to do research but I truly thought I was non-binary when I transitioned. Okay so you said you said um, you identified as non-binary at that time and of course behind all this you have the the divorce you have the things that happened in sixth grade and that sort of thing but I'm curious what was that process like and then how did it transition into identifying as I'm, I'm assuming here that you identified as a man at some point no I actually identified okay. as non-binary throughout the whole time and that's kind of interesting from my understanding people who believe they're non-binary, they, um, they tend not to want to do the hormones. Okay. Well. I, it's not, not that there's always going to be exceptions, but that's... Sure, that's, okay. Yeah. So what did that mean to you? Because I think a lot of people, um, especially the older generation, they're not... If, a, if uh, someone in their 20s or younger comes to them and says, I'm non-binary, they don't know what to do with that. What did that mean for you at the time and how, how do you reflect on that? At the time, it didn't, I, I didn't have any connection to being a woman. And so it, it was, I felt like I was in this weird middle, uh, can't speak, middle place of not really, and I think too, it was just, there was some gender non-conformity there. So sure. I, I liked, working with computers and such. Mm -hmm. I liked the movies that were going to be more traditionally masculine in many ways. Um, so there, there was this aspect of not fitting in really, and, and to be tr sincere with myself, it, it's sort of like if, if somebody was like, you know, like if I were to watch romance movies that, that wouldn't connect that wouldn't that wouldn't be sincere and yeah. so that was part of it part of it was just the rejection I think was was huge but also that disconnection because I I have I, I talked to somebody and I don't think I ever met that diagnosis for like a dissociative disorder but there was definitely a disconnection from my body there was a lot of discomfort around my breasts so there was actually things that made it sound like that surgery was the right fit for me. Um, okay, so are you saying that you did have uh, one of the surgeries, the top surgery? Yes, so I okay. had top Okay, and uh, at what point in this timeline did that happen? So you were at college, um, and how, how did it come about? I'm curious how, how the, was it, did it come from your, like, did you think, well, maybe this will help the discomfort around that part of my body, or how, how did that develop for you? 
yeah i that was the goal was that it was going to help me emotionally and that it was going to help with the discomfort i think too it's important for context um, i had done about 20 years of traditional talk therapy including okay. emdr and i can't remember the exact um what the exact acronym is it's the the um it's the eye movement treatment yeah for, yeah yeah particularly for for pdsd yeah and then I had done DBT, which is dialectical behavior yeah. therapy. Um, yeah. And what else? I had done hypnotherapy, somatic experiencing. Um, and I actually had done two rounds of TMS, which is transcranial magnetic stimulation. Okay. It's a, it's a cousin to ECT, but it's much safer. There's sure. not the risk of like anti-retrograde amnesia. So. Yeah. I, so that's a lot. Let's, if you don't mind, let's dig into that a little bit. How did that initially start? Because I'm guessing that started much earlier. Yes, so I had been doing therapy since I was probably six, I imagine. Okay. Yeah. Because and what was the, the initial um, what was the initial catalyst for that, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, that was the divorce. So. Okay. Um, yeah. The divorce happened, and then they decided to have me see a therapist for that, and also, I imagine. Maybe the ADHD played a role in that because there, I would not be, you know, I, you know, having that mental health issue would, would probably spur that for my parents. Um, but um, yeah, it, it started, it started, um, yeah, I'd probably say six, seven around that time was when, when I started doing therapy. Okay. And how? You brought it up as an important kind of preamble uh, to the top surgery. What is that? How does that connect for you? So, pretty much, I was at the, the end of my rope because I had done everything conventional medicine. Yeah, had to I understand. Over. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't tolerate medications. So, whenever they give me medication, it, it wouldn't. Res I wouldn't respond well to it. Hmm. And the only medication I responded well to was methylphenidate CD. But it drew, it dried out my mouth so much I ended up getting gum disease, and so I oh, was man. like, okay, well I guess I can't take ADHD medication, um, and then it didn't really help because I had generalized anxiety disorder. So um, yeah, I had this a lot of mental health issues. Um, I had also major depressive disorder um, on top of that. Pretty much, yeah, I I tried everything that was available through um, conventional medicine or like through conventional therapy maybe would be the best way to describe that. And was this, was trying these things related at all to some of this discomfort in your body? Um, I'm curious because I, I'm trying to see the connection um, between maybe trying some of these things and being at the end of your rope with, of course, the generalized anxiety and the major depression, but also with I guess let me ask a, a question um, mm -hmm. instead of babbling. When you had planned to do the top surgery, how how did you conceive of that? Did, did you feel like that was going to solve something for you? Did you feel like that was more in line with your identity as non-binary? What was the thinking behind it? Yeah, and I, I did think it was going to solve things because okay. that was that was pretty much it. I thought okay, this must be it because I've done everything else. Yeah. Um, and, and it was, and I was having the surgery because I, 
I was like, well, I feel uncomfortable with my breasts. Maybe getting rid of that will, maybe that's the answer. And then it ended up not being it. Yeah. What was the, how old were you at this point? I was 30. Okay. Yeah. So, so this was post college, mm-hmm. right? This is post college. Are you working at this point? So I had been working and then I had it like a toxic work environment. So that okay. added to everything. And I ended okay. up going on to long-term disability. So I was actually, my long-term disability had ended by the time I, I got the surgery okay. and I just wasn't finding anything that was actually helping at that point. So, yeah. So being, being that this, um, this was a decision that you made in your 30s. What would, um, I guess, because we're seeing this all over the place in different different areas, and we're seeing we're seeing um, like people like uh, Chloe Cole. Is that her last name? Um, she had the surgery at 15, I think. Um, how how do you feel about? Um, well, number one, your own story, but also as it relates to people that are even younger kind of being told that this might solve their problems. What, what, is that, what does that look like for you? And also, not to tack too much onto this question, um, where did you land after the fact, when, after you had the surgery? Were you happy for a while? Um, were you immediately dissatisfied? What, what was that like as well? So I guess there's two questions there. Yeah. So, um, could you go back to the first question? Or, yeah. yeah, so I'm just, I'm just curious, as, as someone who had this surgery later in life and has come to detransition, what do you think about the current push to allow children access to this surgery? Yeah, it, as somebody who's, who's older and, and, and who's done the surgery and regretted it, um, I definitely, I mean, children are, are just, I mean, I've changed so much since I, since I was a kid. So yeah. to imagine that sort of high responsibility being put on a child, I don't think is right. And then, yeah. I mean, other people have made the point that, you know, we, we don't let kids drink, you know, we don't, there's a whole bunch of things that legally kids cannot do. And yet we're yeah. putting this huge um, surgery on them. And I, think too that kind of and this is like a whole other topic but um, I found that I got better mentally through addressing my physical health so there's obviously physical health issues mm-hmm. um, and it deeply concerns me how that's being overlooked for these kids mm-hmm. and it just, I mean it was overlooked for me too and so that that's a huge part is that they're overlooking health issues when they're allowing these kids to transition. So I want to get back to the other question, but I want to do a follow-up if you don't mind. Um, health, health issues. What, what did that look like? Was it, was it more than just the generalized anxiety? You have physical um, things that, that, like other things going on. Yeah. So, I mean, there was. It's very difficult because we found that. I had high CRP levels after the surgery, and that I also had high whole blood histamine. 
after the surgery. Like it was like above the number it's supposed to be. And so these were things that were only caught after the surgery. So unfortunately we can't go back and test my, test my blood levels. Oh, so there's the no way of knowing what the cause and sort of thing is. Okay. Yeah. But that being said, as I've gotten better, those labs have improved mentally. As I've gotten better mentally, those labs have improved. So I think that there is perhaps a correlation between inflammation and um, health. But yeah, it was very, it, it's just sad because it, it was, well, I've done all this physical health stuff and that, 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 was the, that was the issue. It wasn't the mental health, which is what everybody kept pushing me down that road of, well, you just need medications or yeah. you just need to see another therapist. And so how did surgery, no, no go ahead yeah i was going to say there's just a, a bunch of complications i struggled with after the surgery and that's another thing that makes me concerned about people just transitioning in general is that um i had let's see here i mean i developed raynaud syndrome so my capillary shrank in like my toes and my fingers and then i developed tinnitus it was so bad i, I wasn't sleeping at night oh wow um, there was like a there's like a few months and it was scary that I just wasn't sleeping at all, and they put me on Ambien and they ended up forgetting like the doctors weren't talking to each other and I was on Ambien for too long. Um, I dealt with a brief bout of vertigo. I've had it looks like bone spurs or prominences on like my knuckles and that happened after the surgery. It was just odd because all these health issues I was never experiencing happened right after that surgery right and so so in a sense it feels causal of course we can't necessarily infer cause because correlation doesn't always equal causation but regardless the stress that the surgery put on your body either way most likely um, helped facilitate the advent of these other difficulties what what is um, if you don't mind the Reynolds syndrome, what is that, uh, what are the symptoms of that as far as how you're feeling? Um, so it will be like more painful to like go in the freezer and pick something out for me. I see, um, okay. Yeah, it's, it's like there's discoloration generally. Um, yeah, and I, I just remember waking up and like I was like, something's wrong. And I flipped over the sheets. And I looked at my feet and I'm like, that's the issue. Like my feet felt cold and then they started yeah. discoloring. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was difficult, so. What's the, what was the, getting back to a previous question, what was your immediate sort of reaction to the surgery? Did it help alleviate anything for a time? and? And then maybe you could segue into how you decided to transition or detransition um, yeah. as well, because going through the surgery and then I don't what what I guess maybe say what the time frame between that was and detransition as well, if you don't mind. Yeah, so pretty much I developed the health complications right after the surgery, and so my mindset was really fixate on that because there were there are times where like I mean I did a video I didn't think I was going to make it through the night because of all oh, the wow. yeah the health issues I had so it was yeah I just it was like I didn't even almost have time to process it like 
like how I felt about the surgery just because I was like having like heat rashes and stuff. Like when I shower, I'd get like a, a rash oh, and stuff. Okay. So it was, and I mean, I have like skin discoloration. It's, it's almost like I had so many issues. It's, it's almost like difficult to like recall them because it's, it was just like, yeah, I just, my body just, it, like I've had a naturopath who thought that it was an upregulated nervous system, but I mean, it's difficult because what doctors did was that they thought that it was like they started taking me seriously and then when they thought i had psych uh, psychosomatic fever then they started dismissing me so and then they're like okay you just need to say, see a psychologist and i knew it yeah. was physical in nature yeah um, that's, that's really difficult how, yeah i'm sorry you had to go through that my wife actually has a couple of chronic illnesses and she was dismissed and not listened to for the longest time and she wound up in the hospital um, to a point that we didn't we didn't think um, she was gonna make it through the night but you know she did but but that's really hard how did that affect I guess you were dealing with other things so after the surgery so you like you said you didn't really have time to process what was going on um, so what what is the timeline then after the surgery at which point you decided maybe this didn't help and how because it, it feels to me like there are two things going on you're not just kind of regretting the surgery but you're also stepping away from this non-binary identity yeah so what did that process look like for you and and at what point was that was it a year after a couple months after the surgery well, i know that and maybe i had an inkling about the year before because i asked um, I, I saw somebody for um, NAET, which is something like Nutripad Allergy Elimination Technique. And it's one of the more controversial treatments I've done um, because I've done a lot of alternative treatments. Um, but I asked them to work with me on gender. And so it's like this acupuncture muscle testing sort of combination um, that they did on me. And so I did that, um, but it really, wasn't until I started mentally getting better that I actually realized that, oh, I've been a woman this whole time mm. and that I've been on the wrong path. So it, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like one of those, like it, it like, because I know people too, they, they get the surgery and they're like, oh my God, what have I done? But yeah. for me, it was that as I mentally got better, then I realized and became more connected with my body that this has been the wrong path all along. I see. So you're, you're saying, and it seems like this happens in different domains, but that in order to even see clearly, you had to, to solve the, you know, the mental health issues and some of the other health things. And as you were, were successful in that, you were able to kind of realize, oh, this is um, my thinking wasn't wasn't correct in this manner. Yeah. So what does um, hmm. it's hard because you wonder you you mentioned initially that you did the gamut of uh, psychotherapy and stuff uh, from from that to EMDR and all of that stuff. Um, how how did you wind up getting better then? It was the acupuncture therapy? Yeah, it was, um, and I've never responded well to just acupuncture by itself. It's usually mm -hmm. like acupuncture 
with other treatments, but it was things like body work, um, scar okay. work, um, let's see here, um, earthing is another one. Okay, so it's like a grounding in your body as opposed to, um, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and for earthing it's more like, uh, let's see here, like actually connecting to the physical earth or there's like earthing mm -hmm. pads and I forgot it's like negative ions or something. Um, but yeah, I actually sleep on an earthing pad at night. Yeah. Um, let's see here. There was earthing and then um, I feel like I'm missing one. So body work, earthing, oh, diet was huge for me. I started mm. eating meat again. Um, okay, so you were vegetarian at one point? I was actually pescatarian, so I was eating okay. fish. Yeah. yeah, and then I like I I saw like Michaela Peterson talking. I'm like, she she does amazing on this carnivore. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll try a carnivore or like or like yeah. maybe I'll try eating meat again. So I started yeah. eating meat again, which was good because I actually um, I had my ferritin levels were fine before the surgery, but after sure. the surgery they were like really low. They were like 17 or something, and originally I was 90. So right. Yeah, so I was really low, and so I started eating meat again. I think that really helped, and I, I, I eat liver. I think it's disgusting, but I'll, I'll <laughs> eat it because I was like, I just want to get better. And so then, yeah, it was the, the diet was a huge part of it, and now I've, like, kind of restricted it more, so I'm trying to cut out seed oils and such. But okay. di diet played a huge role. And then the other one was hyperbaric oxygen therapy, and that one okay. was really interesting to me because – I, and I've actually documented this on my YouTube channel. Um, yeah, could you could you shout out your YouTube channel for anyone that wants to see yeah, that? Yeah, so my YouTube channel is the Get Better Researcher, and for for that I documented me going through um, through hybrid auction therapy, and it was I've done sixty treatments that are have been documented, and it's pretty amazing because I feel that people can actually see like how I've progressed because uh, my speech became more fluid like I was able to articulate things better and it was and I, I feel like I'm able to recall things better I still have ADHD so that's still something I'm, I'm kind of working through but it's it's been amazing like my generalized anxiety disorder went away um, oh, wow that's wonderful yeah, the only thing is that my insomnia kind of goes back and forth, so I'm still struggling with insomnia a bit, but like it's amazing. I'll do the treatment and I don't struggle with insomnia. So there's something about that that's really helping helping me sleep for whatever reason. I so you've addressed these physical and mental health issues and that overall has has helped you more than anything else. And I'm curious, and this is maybe a polarizing question, don't feel free not to answer it. I'm just trying to get my, my head around this in general. It's like, would you, do you think there's a, a point in time outside of a cancerous reason, like a cancer or something for the top surgery? Like, do you think, do you think that could be beneficial or do you think generally that's just something that, that is uh, too much of a danger to, to suggest really to anyone? Uh, struggling with gender identity. Yeah, for me, my biggest issue is always going to be that they need to check out everything first. I, I, as somebody who has 
dealt with all these physical health issues after doing top surgery, it's, it's difficult for me to recommend it. Sure. Um, you know, I mean, somebody could do it and then they don't have issues, but the thing is you also have scars. And from what I've heard from talking with bodywork practitioners, they're, they, they're, they think that the, the, the bad tissue of the scars, the, the mangled tissue grabs onto the good tissue. Um, so the, it's just, you're doing something that's very traumatic for the body. And it's not that I don't respect people who are trans or anything. It's just, I sure, don't want people to get hurt and I don't want people to go through what I went through. Right, and, and so, there's also not a, a scientific method for, for determining if someone's gonna come to regret it or not. That's a big one, I think. It's um, self-determined in a sense, and a lot of people that have had the top surgery, at least a lot of people that I've spoken to, um, have wound up regretting it. And I guess I'm, I'm curious because I, I, watched a, I watched a recent YouTube video of someone that I had never heard of before, but they were interviewing protesters at Matt Walsh's in-child mutilation rally recently. One of the protesters was asked about Chloe Cole, who was then on the stage speaking, and he said, well, that's her prerogative. She can, she can detrans, that's fine, everything's reversible. That everything re is reversible thing kind of caught my, my ear because my understanding is no like it's not what what is how do you understand this and also if you don't mind me asking were you on hormones or or anything at all or did you just do the the top surgery i never did hormones okay so so from the perspective of the top surgery then what do you say to someone that says that it's it's absolutely not reversible <laughs> so um i mean it's i i it's that's very interesting to me that well I can I can kind of see why people. I, I I can, I I I've heard that argument that it's like well you can just get implants but implants aren't the same like there can be complications from implants. Um, I believe you have to take them out every so often too. It, I mean, they also changed my nipples so that that can, I can never get back like that I can never get that missing skin back. Um, I mean, there's a lot of skin I I don't have because um, the surgeon removed it so I mean it's it's not the same and the thing is too is that because I had so many health complications I've I I mean I've I've thought about it but I just well that I don't I don't want the synthetic um, mm -hmm. so I keep going back to that but it's also just the health complications because I had so many serious health issues after the surgery um, that I don't want to take this risk to, to get, um, to get like synthetics. And so. Right. Because going through another surgery could, could bring up other things as well. Um, I guess I would be, be curious what you would say to, to kids specifically, because right now we're seeing it all over, um, you know, with 5% as of June of this year, 5% of American young adults identify as non-binary or trans. And we know from separate studies that up to 80%, if not more, wind up desisting if they don't, if they don't go through um, kind of this, this campaign of gender affirmative care. Yeah. 
I'm curious what, um, what you would say to kids that are struggling with this and think that the surgery or the hormones, granted you weren't on hormones, but you do have the experience from surgery, what they think, what, sorry, what you would say to kids that are struggling and hoping that something like this would solve their problems? Yeah, so the first thing I'd recommend is looking at um, the physical health issues. So, and it's difficult because I'm not a doctor, so this is pretty much, and I'm not scientifically minded, but from my, I know I did have CRP, which is um, an inflammation issue, Um, checking CRP, whole blood histamine, autoimmunity, anything else that's inflammation related um, would be a good place to start. Um, There's just so many, I think that's the sad thing is that, you know, a lot of not everybody can do hyperbaric oxygen therapy but hyperbaric oxygen therapy is a non-invasive treatment and it's a safer treatment and you know if you had an issue like mine then you they they might do better on that but it's i think it's comparable in price to doing these top surgeries as well Mm. and it's just like i'd rather people just in these kids not do something that's so invasive because two, you're putting yourself at risk when your your anxiety and your depression is heightened and then you're going through this very um, difficult surgery that's that's taxing on your body. Hmm. So yeah, there's there's just so many more less invasive, like diet is another one that, again, less invasive and um, less risks. Thank you for that. I, you mentioned that you were never really quite connected with the trans community, but you are as of now, you know, with this interview and also with your YouTube channel, with your Twitter page, um, you are out there in a sense in the, in the, the internet. What has your general response been from that trans community? What have you seen come through as far as uh, comments or if you have? Right. I mean, it's it's been very positive from fellow detransitioners. I was actually very concerned about connecting with other detransitioners because I had such bad experiences in activist circles. I was like, mm-hmm. this is what activism is like. But I've been um, surprised, um, like in a good way, about how positive everybody's been and how respectful everybody's been and how, too, there's been people from everywhere there's I have conservative followers I have liberal followers I have um, left-wing followers I don't think I have any far left but um, which would make sense Um, but yeah mostly uh, overwhelmingly positive response and I know I'm I'm coming at this later when there's been more of a community established versus um, I know that this has been very hard for a lot of detransitioners because um, you know, this is more of a newer thing that, that there is the support. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that when it comes to trans rights activists, um, it, it's again, that ideological um, holding that they, that they have on them, that, that sort of elitism that makes them feel that they can talk to you however they want. But, um, yeah, some of that's been negative, um, and some of it, like, some of it's just been negative, and then some of it's been, like, 
they're they're trying to actually emotionally hurt me thankfully like that mm. doesn't really bother me but yeah um but yeah it's, it's usually the negative response comes out of that and they think that and unfortunately it's, it's sad because it's this sort of polarized thinking of well you can't say anything negative about trans healthcare. if you say anything negative then um and you should share your story in a way that shows anything negative then you shouldn't do that mm. um which isn't productive it, it just um it just creates like one sort of uh, mindset rather than like and really where i'm coming from is i just want things to get better because they messed up for me so yeah yeah, yeah. well thank you for taking time to to speak today and i i want to point everyone to your twitter and your youtube um, you'll find, like you said, these chronicles, updates on your health and that sort of thing. Um, is there anything else that you want to point people to or say uh, to maybe people watching that are looking for a community, whether they're D-trans or just struggling with this in general? Yeah, if they're, um, for community around D-transitioner, there's like Chloe Cole and a lot of D-transitioners will have the little gecko by, by their Twitter handle so they can identify them through that. And um, I'm always open to questions. And yeah, I, I guess the only other thing I'd like to say is that I really hope that we can start looking at mental health through a different lens of, and, and experiment with things that are less invasive for, for mental health issues. So, um, but yeah, definitely addressing more of the physical physical ailments instead of just fixating on um, mental illness. Please consider joining our YouTube channel as a member or going to patreon.com slash TV. It's with members like you that we are that we can sustain our efforts here in creating. Was I out of focus that whole time? <laughs>